Praise the Lord, fellow branches. Amen. It's just good to be together. And when we gather together like this, we may not realize it, but it's a testimony that we love the Lord and need Him, and also that we love one another and need one another, because we are part of an organic corporate reality. And it is this organic corporate reality that we will consider as best we can in the time that we have uh, in this little conference. So the subject is quite simple. The true vine and the golden lampstand. I was impressed by the Lord to put these two matters together. It's very fitting to do so. Uh, the writer of both the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation is the Apostle John. So he brought forth this vision based on the Lord's word of the true vine. The Gospel of John is filled with signs. Not only are the miracles signs, that is, symbols with a spiritual significance, but so much of what is revealed is a sign, not a literal, physical reality. The Father's house is a sign. And in the marvelous book, The Fulfillment of the Tabernacle and the Offerings, in the writings of John, Brother Lee traces the signs in the Gospel of John. The book of Revelation, we're told in the very beginning, is made known by signs. So we should regard what is portrayed in that book as real, but not physical for the most part but signs with a spiritual significance. Concerning signs, the Lord Jesus said something that um, merits our attention. And he said this in John in particular, although the event is recorded in all four Gospels. He had just finished feeding a large crowd, 5,000 males, plus women and children. And the next day, a number of those who had been fed eagerly sought the Lord. They wanted to make him king, uh, if by force if necessary. And this is what he told them. And this is a word also for us. He said, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the bread and were satisfied. The Lord actually blessed that bread in such a way it could feed this multitude. 
they actually ate bread and they were satisfied. But the Lord's view was that it was a sign. It was a symbol with spiritual significance. And he regretted, I think we can say, at least he asserted, you just want more bread. You want someone to take care of you physically. This implies a lot. The economy. Oh, when a group of people think they found a person that can solve their economical problems, they will be energized to take all kinds of action to put that person in power for their own sake. But the Lord wouldn't be a king in that way. And he said, you didn't see the signs. So then he spoke explicitly about bread, saying, I am the bread of life, the living bread, the true bread, the bread that came down out of heaven, the bread of God. Then he spoke of being edible and drinkable through his redemption, and hardly anyone could take it. They were just astonished at it. They said it's a hard saying. And sadly, this is the common situation among believers. Either we do not see the signs and or when the sign is explained, we don't like the explanation. It's a hard saying. And so many left the Lord said to the disciples, will you also leave? Will you go away? And Peter had a good word. Maybe he shepherded the Lord a little. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Amen. So just as the bread is a sign, the vine is a sign. And we have to see it. We have to see it. What do I mean by see it? I mean that our mind is open and enlightened. Then the eyes of our heart are enlightened. And the veil covering us is removed. And the Lord anoints our eyes. And inwardly, we see something in a spiritual way. If we really see the sign of the true vine. We will gradually come to realize we are intrinsically part of a corporate organism. Look at all of us humanly and physically. Everyone is in her or his own seat. We all have a body that separates us from others. We have a distinct personality. This is according to God's creation. And human society is physical. We're in family units, schools, cities, all kinds of things. But this makes it hard for us to realize that in the spiritual realm, we are not isolated, complete units. Although we remain personal, 
And in a sense, individuals were not isolated. And only the Lord knows how much grief even we ourselves have unintentionally caused by living as if we were not part of this corporate organism, not seeing it. The golden lampstand is also a sign, as we mentioned. And it is, stands for the testimony of Jesus, at least in one aspect. The corp, the embodiment and expression of the triune God. Both the vine and the lampstand point to the triune God. In the vine, it's primarily the triune God as our life and our life supply. With the lampstand, it is a triune God as our divine nature or his expression. It would make a great difference if in our spirit we began to be and then continue to be impressed that although I'm a distinct person, I have my own social security number, I have my own driver's license, my own passport with some kind of photograph on it that proves to the inspector who I am. And although we are believers and we are children of God and sons of God, we're also members of the body. And that's a huge advance. We are branches of the true vine. We are parts of the new man and of the bride. We are somehow participants in this golden lampstand. So we will do what we can to consider these two matters primarily from the point of view of experience, our personal experience and our corporate experience. And the Lord knows, and I believe many of us also can sense, our trust is in the Lord himself, in the anointing spirit, in the enlightening spirit, in the spirit of reality to guide us into all reality so that we may touch it. We have to be able to present the truth which might appear to be doctrinal, but that is the vehicle for the Lord to dispense himself into us for our personal and corporate experience. Okay, now we come to the true vine. And may we receive mercy from the Lord to not be held back by whatever it is we know from the past. And whatever we have experienced, we don't have to deny that we know something or have experienced something. But the Lord is fresh. I assure you, he is fresh as the dew. And he is ever new. And the anointing is moving 
to add his precious essence to us. So I say this to myself first. I, w- I would like to receive help from the Lord directly and also from your fellowship and your participation that we may advance in our experience. Okay, the true vine. The Lord said this, I am the true vine. He could have said, I am the vine. But he said, I am the true vine. So let's consider this true. Well, from the point of view of the nature of John's gospel, the true equals the real in contrast to just some kind of physical counterpart. Grapevines actually exist physically. We're not denying the material existence of vines. The Lord would say, that's not the true vine. That's not the real vine. I created that to portray myself as the real vine, the vine of reality, the genuine vine. That's why when a dear brother wanted to take our brother Lee to see the queen's vine, I don't recall if brother Lee accommodated him or not, but he said, I don't need to see it. I've already seen the true vine. But there's another aspect of true. And so I'll ask you something now. And you may not know quite to do with the question, except to wait for some comment. Do you know that the Bible, the New Testament in particular, speaks of two vines? Two vines. And it's John who records something about these two vines. The first we all know is John 15, one and following, the true vine. But Revelation 14 speaks of another vine. And it might be helpful if I read the verses, 18 and 19. And another angel came out of the altar, he who has the authority over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sickle, saying, Send forth your sharp sickle. And gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripened. The vine of the earth. You ever thought about it? And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the fury of God. Then verse 20, And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood came, out, and blood came out of the winepress up to the bridles of the horses 
were 1,600 stadia. Obviously, this vine is negative. When its grapes are fully ripened, that is, filled with water, will be the time for the Lord to come and trample it with the fury of God. There is a corporate entity developing on the earth that involves all the unbelievers in Satan's world system. And their sin and iniquity will reach the point of full ripening. And when the Lord returns at the end of the great tribulation, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. So the Lord has intense feelings about both vines. And this vine of the earth, as the note points out, is a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit of the true vine. Well, who in this universe is the counterfeiter? Who is the liar? Who is the deceiver? Who is the dissembler? That is Satan the devil. Hardly anyone realizes it, and we ourselves may not yet fully realize it. Everyone living and breathing right now among the seven billion people on the earth are in a vine. They are part of a vine. Either the true vine, the Lord himself as the embodiment of the triune God with the believers as the branches, or they are part of the vine of the earth, the counterfeit that is the satanic system Satan has devised to occupy everyone. And one characteristic of the true vine, and we believe the Lord wills, we'll consider this in the morning, is the flow of life in the vine. The more we abide here, the more the life flow is moving. The, the ointment is applied to us. The characteristic of the vine of the earth is anxiety over one's living. The Lord made this contrast in Matthew 6. He's talking about seeking the kingdom first. Your father knows what you need. Do not be anxious. All the Gentiles are anxious. So what is ahead for this country? I'm not going to take any political position. What if you go load up for gas? Okay, I don't know if you have California prices, 450 for regular. Okay, 510. Say it's European prices. What's going to be the feeling? Then you consider so many industries will make adjustments, won't they? The airlines. You think they're going to say Oh, we're sorry. We're not going to charge you more. They're going to offset everything. Anxiety. That, that is 
the life of the vine of the earth. Well, this is not really a gospel meeting. But if there's someone who came in, uh, not yet believing into the Lord and having him as life, let me tell you, you need to allow God to transfer you tonight Amen. out of the vine of the earth and plant you into the true vine. Amen. And then we will baptize you into the triune God Amen. and into the body of Christ to make this transfer complete. Amen. It is of God that we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. No one can simply will himself to say, or let me stay in the vine of the earth for a period of time. I'm young. Uh, there are certain delights, I think, in being here. Then when I am old, like the brother speaking tonight, then I might decide, now it's time. Well, this is, re this is part of the folly of the earth dwellers, of the worldlings. Remember what David told Belshazzar. In Daniel 5, he said, The God in whose hand your life breath is, you have not honored. Isn't it a great thing that our God, based upon his eternal selection, through the gospel, transferred us, separated us from the vine of the earth, and grafted us into the true vine. Amen. Now we are in the realm of reality. And in this message, we first need to see the vision of the vine. And I think it's good. Actually, it's more than think. I'm quite assured that it's good that we should just be exercised not to take anything for granted. So what do we mean by vision? We're not talking about some kind of strange psychic experience. We're talking about seeing a certain spiritual scenery in the spirit. So if there were, if there were an ant crawling on the lectern here, I wouldn't say, behold, I, I have a vision of an ant. An ant is not something you have a vision of. A vision has to be an extraordinary scene. That's the nature of it. And a vision has three elements. It would be good to remember this uh, your whole life. The first is unveiling. That's revelation to remove the covering. If there's a veil on our mind, on our heart, that needs to be lifted. Then we need light to shine in the darkness. And then we need sight. Paul prayed for all three in one prayer in Ephesians 1. He prayed that the Father of glory would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of him, the eyes of our heart being enlightened. And only God can do this. I have no confidence that I can say anything that will take away the veil. The Father needs to do this. Amen. God is light itself. If he doesn't shine into you, then 
my words are in vain. And eventually, the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened so that this matter of the vine is real in you. You're not living on a secondhand revelation. You know, like the sons of Sceva, remember this? In Acts, Paul cast out a demon. They thought, hey, we can do this. So they went up to this demon-possessed person, and they said, I adjure you, I, we rebuke you in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the, the enemy detects unreality and will attack it and speak back. And the demon said, I know Jesus. I'm acquainted with Paul, but who are you? And they got a whooping, right? They really got beat up. Well, we acknowledge with humility that most of the things we have received, we have not received directly from God. We have received through the revelation given to the apostles. We have received through the minister and the ministry of the age. We acknowledge this. We're not ashamed of this. We will continue in the things which we have learned, knowing from which ones we have learned them. But we cannot forever go on based on what someone else has seen. The Lord desires that we would all see what the apostles saw. We would all see what Brother Lee saw. That's the significance of this title, the vision of the vine. Now, we'll go through the outline, and we'll emphasize certain matters more than others. Uh, if you're new to uh, a conference meeting like this, and you wonder uh, how long the message will be and how long the meeting will be, well, let's just say the meeting will end approximately 9.30. And as far as the message um, we're just getting going. But it'll be over well before nine. Then what will we do? The message will continue to be spoken by many of you. Right? That's, this, this is the principle of the body. Okay. The first Roman numeral. Christ as the true vine, with the Father as the husbandman, is the meaning of the universe, of human life, of human history, of the church, and of the Bible. Now, this is quite a statement. Okay, we need to unpack this. Okay, Christ as the true vine is the meaning of the universe. What we're saying here is that apart from this vine, the universe is meaningless. It serves no purpose. Well, in your kindness, please recognize we cannot, in one message, give a detailed explanation for every matter, but we can point in the direction. Do you know that there's one verse which explains why everything exists? 
one particular verse that tells us why the universe and everything in it exists. Okay, you're thinking, and uh, we don't want you to have too much mental pain or strain. <laughs> the verse is Revelation 4.11. The living creatures representing creation are praising God, the Creator, and said, You have created all things, and because of your will, they were and were created. So God has a will for himself. And because of this will, the universe and everything and everyone in it exists. Then the next question is, what is this will? Your will. If we read Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and Revelation under the Spirit's enlightening, we will see, especially from Ephesians, that God's will is to have the body of Christ as his corporate expression. This thought is confirmed in Romans 12 about proving the perfect will of God. Then Paul speaks of the body. The vine is a, corresponds to the body. The vine is John's term to refer to this organism. And we're standing here saying it's the meaning of the universe. That God created the universe. Why it's so big, the answer can only come from him so that there would be an environment for him to have the inhabitable earth with human beings created in his image, so that with them he can produce this organism for his glorification. This is why everything exists. Ultimately, this true vine will consummate in the new Jerusalem. The principle of the vine is mutual abiding. And in the New Jerusalem, that reaches its full development. We are the tabernacle. The triune God dwells in us. He is the temple. The redeemed tripartite man dwells in him. The same principle. Then of human life. Uh, starting from the age of 19, in the wake of a certain painful experience, uh, this became my life's preoccupation. Admittedly, it was sophomoric. Since I was a sophomore, I was sophomoric. <laughs> but it never left me. They just went from one stage to another. You consider, what is the meaning of a human life? that runs through all of its stages on earth, and then it ends by being terminated because you're part of the vine of the earth. That God's verdict on you and everything you lived and done is just nothing. 
And actually, all the while, one is living as part of the vine of the earth. Even if he's an American who doesn't like to think deeply, and doesn't like to be alone, will have times when you wonder. Then there will be this desperate need to find some enjoyment and to pay people tens of millions of dollars to entertain us with their music, with their acting, with whatever. I'm not young anymore, but I found the secret of living. Amen. It's to abide in the vine. Amen. What makes a day meaningful is abiding in the vine. Okay? I have to admit, I can't say I spend all my time abiding in the vine. That, 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 how much I'm here, the Lord knows. But if you spend a day, it's one of these really hard days, inwardly and outwardly, and the whole day was spent outside the vine, when you come to the end of that day, you'll agree with God. There's nothing that should be remembered. This day was a waste. All you can do is ask for the Lord's forgiveness and cleansing. But if someone else spends that same day in the midst of her human situation, whatever it is, as a mom, as a grandmother, as someone with health issues, as someone in a less than happy marriage, as someone whose adult children are a real challenge, yet she just stays in the mingled spirit. She prays, she contacts others, she reads the word. Then at the end of that day, let's say it's 10.30 p.m., some of us who are not young, we're more than ready to go to sleep Amen. at 10.30 p.m. And she can have such a sense of fullness, of praise, of thanks. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for what you accomplished today. It's the meaning of human history. The genealogy in Matthew, understood according to the entire history of the Old Testament, will show us history is focused on the emergence of a wonderful person, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, God becoming a man. And on his living, you know, before we became kind of neutral about things, human history was divided, B.C., A.D., now it's B.C.E., right, whatever. But the principle is still here. Our Lord's coming to the earth and his life and ministry on earth. This is the focus of human history. And now in the midst of the present world situation, God is cultivating the vine. He's building the body. He's building up the church as his city. In particular, he's building up the body as the preparation of the bride. When the bride is ready, 
then the Lord will reconfigure the world situation. And the overcomers will be raptured. And then in three and a half years, the Lord will come. So this vine is really the center. It's the meaning of human history. And of the church, of the church. Is the church just the people? Remember that some of us who know what it's like to live in the 1940s, you know, we remember these little children's song, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the door and see all the people, all the people. And so look at, look at, look at all the people, the people are here, and the church is the people. And the church is practical, it's physical, it assembles, we, we serve together, we need to have a place to meet, we need to take care of the children. But is that all the church is? It's not all the church is. That's like the human body, the necessary physical organism. But the intrinsic content of the church is the body, or you could say the vine. If we are just in the church life and partake of so many healthy practices and events in the church life, yet we're not living in the vine, then eventually even our church life will wonder, what, is this really meaningful? And then, then you have your second midlife crisis and you're really feel, feeling desperate. Is it, look, is, is, is this it? Well, I hope not. The real meaning of the church is that in the church life, we live in the vine together. And then it's the meaning of the Bible. Well, the Lord said in John 5, you search the scriptures. These are they which testify concerning me. And in Luke 24, he opened his mind to open their minds to understand the scriptures. He spoke from the prophets, Moses, the things concerning himself. So the Bible is focused on this person, both individually and in his enlargement. I treasure this opening point. To me, it's almost worth the whole message. It is the meaning of our human life. I don't want to be too personal and subjective. I feel I'm not. But when I began to enter into my 70s, I told the Lord, I don't ask to be an exception to the aging process. I don't expect to be an exception. I watched how Brother Lee entered into this stage and how he exited this stage in victory. And so we go from stage to stage, then we get older, and we have to pay attention to certain physical things we wish he didn't have to pay attention to. But they're there. And the Lord wants to keep us here for a while, apparently. So we take care of them. My point is, whether or not we're one with the Lord in what we are experiencing at any given time makes 
determines whether our, this life, this, this experience is vain or not. Okay, you, you've got to have the surgery. The doctor wants another MRI. He wants another biopsy. So you go in the MRI chamber again with your earphones on and the command not to budge. Well, hundreds, thousands of people go through these things. The difference is when you go through them, abiding in the vine, everything is meaningful. Everything. You're not alone. You're part of this organism. Others are praying for you, remembering you, suffering with you. And also, you are experiencing the Lord for the vine. So what is in the vine is flowing into you as a branch. And what is in you as a branch is flowing into the vine. And you live in the deep mutuality of the body of Christ. What, what can be higher than this? To win an Oscar? To win a Nobel Prize? <clears throat> For Green Bay to have the second undefeated season in <laughs> NFL history? <laughs> I was kind of hoping Green Bay would pull it off. So now we have the section, which we'll mainly read, but with emphasis, showing a view of the vine. The true vine, Christ the Son, with its branches, the believers in the Son, is the organism of the triune God in the divine economy to grow with his riches and express his life. So it's Christ and the believers as an organism growing with the riches of Christ and expressing the life of the Father. This is what makes a day meaningful. Today, you had some enjoyment of the Lord. Today, you allowed the Lord to increase in you. To grow in you. That was your prayer in the morning. You prayed, Lord, help me to enjoy you today. And you prayed, Lord, cause me to grow in life today. And so you lived in this. The function of the true vine as a sign of the sun is for the triune God to have an organism in the Son for his multiplication, spreading, and glorification in his divine life. The triune God wants to have a corporate organism in the Son for his multiplication, spreading, and glorification. Now the word multiplication might trouble you. The Mormons, sorry to say, do not believe in one true, ever-living, self-existing God in the whole universe. They have innumerable so-called gods over planets. 
But there is one true and living, self-existing, ever-existing, triune God. He wants to express himself in the Son corporately. And there can only be one such God. So he himself in his Godhead cannot be multiplied or be duplicated. He cannot increase. But... In his economy, he multiplies himself by producing children. So the children become the reproduction, the multiplication of the parents. And the the Lord grows in the believers and spreads through them. So in this sense, the triune God is doing these things in the organism according to his economy. KB says, God the Father, as the husbandman, is the source and the founder. I would emphasize source. God the Son is the center, the embodiment, and the manifestation. I would emphasize center. God the Spirit is is the reality and realization. I would emphasize reality. We have the source, the center, and the reality. Yeah, I'm pausing here. We need to know our triune God experientially in this way. We need to honor him as the only legitimate source in this universe. Anyone who serves the Lord in the church, in the ministry, in the work needs to learn this lesson, the lesson of our ancestor Abraham, that only God is the source. Anything we produce out of ourselves is Ishmael. This is a crucial lesson. Some brothers are very innovative. They have Lots of ideas. They're capable of implementing their ideas. This is how things get generated without God. The vine depends on the Father as the source. Not merely God as the source. The Father as the source. And then the Son is the center. This is a lesson we have to all learn that the self is not the center. Even though we're born that way, and we are that way in the fall, and we may live this way for a while, even in the church, that's why it's easy for some to get offended. We need to all be decentered. The center is not anyone, anything, any matter. The center is the Son Himself. Then the Spirit is the reality. The Spirit causes us to realize, that is to find real, what the triune God is and what He's doing. Thank you, Frank. I needed this. I have the living water. 
but I still need this. <laughs> so one function of the Spirit is to make the divine things real to you. W wouldn't you like that? To leave this weekend, for which many of you, you paid a price to come here with time and energy, gas, however you got here. Wouldn't it be sweet to leave with a sense of more reality in your Amen. being? Because we spent these days together. And then the branches are the body, the corporate expression. This is the function of the church. To express Christ. Okay. One, all that the Father is and has is embodied in Christ the Son. And then has realized in the Spirit as the reality. All that the Spirit has is wrought into us the branches. To be expressed and testified through us. Now, would you like to have all the reality that the Spirit has wrought into you? Amen. Does that sound pleasant? Then I have a suggestion that you pray about this personally. You just say, Lord, cause the Spirit of reality to work this reality into my being. If you pray this, what do you think the Lord would say? Do you think he would say, no, no, I'd rather you stay in unreality the rest of your life. This is so sweet. The reason I mention this is some of our enjoyment is limited because of our passive acceptance of the Lord speaking rather than active acceptance. Passive acceptance is we're open and we, we're agreeable, we receive it. Active acceptance takes the next step and, and there is prayer in response. A very good illustration is in 2 Samuel 7 when Nathan the prophet spoke God's word to David, you will not build God a house, he will build you a house that a seed that will come forth from within him will be God's son, and that one will build a house to the Lord. After David received this word, he sat down before the Lord and he prayed it back to him. He, my brothers and sisters, this is a huge secret. It's so simple. And by the Lord's mercy, by his care, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, I just realized I need to do this. Here's a message on organic salvation. Lord, I'm now taking my morning proc, pray walking, right? You can do this in California in February. That's geography for you, right? Lord, today, save me more in your life. Lord, sanctify me. Renew me. This completes the cycle and it accelerates the experience. But if we just, okay, we're impressed, we receive it, we agree with it, we're amenable. Just like David, he said, wow, what a word. I mean, I, 
I, I believe this. I say amen to this. That would have limited its effect. But when you pray it back in a simple way, in a personal way, while you're shaving, what a meaningless act. I wouldn't mind it all if I woke up in the morning and my angel said, you'll never have another whisker again. You will not have to shave. That would be so nice. But now we got to do it. Why not for a few seconds while you're lathering up or however, whatever your technique is. Lord, save me in life today. Amen. Be my enjoyment today. Okay. In this way, this is the rest of two, the process trying God is expressed, manifested, and glorified in the church. See, the organism of the triune God in John 15 is the triune God united, that's mainly in life, mingled, that's mainly in nature, and incorporated, that involves our person, with his chosen, redeemed, and regenerated people. The fact that you're here tonight is a testimony that before there was a universe and God had this will with the good pleasure of his will and formed his eternal purpose and his economy, he chose you to be holy. Amen. That is to be the same as God in nature. And he predestinated you unto sonship. That is to be the same as God in life and in glory for his expression. Because that happened, you were redeemed and eventually regenerated to be part of this organism. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit co-inhere. That's mutually indwell with the disciples mutually. For the triune God and the disciples are united, mingled, and incorporated into one. This is the vine. The union in life, mingling in nature, incorporation in person, the persons indwelling one another. When we touch this corporately, we realize this is it. We found the secret of living. We've seen the vision divine. We are of God in Christ Jesus. We're abiding, abiding in the vine. Abiding in the vine, abiding in the vine. All the riches of God's life are mine. Praise God he put us here. Never to leave. But we're abiding, abiding in the vine. Why don't we take just a few seconds and praise God for putting us here. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for putting us in the vine. Praise you for cutting us out of the vine of the earth. Grafting us into the true vine. Amen. Praise God he put us here. We should worship him for this. What a mercy. What a grace. If someone is abiding in the vine and is a resident of Green Bay and Green Bay loses on that fateful Sunday, they may be sad, but they can say, praise 
God, he put me here. I'm still abiding in the vine. You know, it's one thing for a fan of the New York Giants to tell a morning Green Bay Packer fan to cheer up. After all, we won the Super Bowl and you, bound for a perfect season, got blown away. It's another thing for a resident of Green Bay to say, the Packers lost. Vince Lombardi is rolling in his tomb. But I'm still happy in Jesus. Because my joy does not depend on who has the most points when time runs out at any given year. It has to be. Otherwise, we're the same as unbelievers. Okay. Amen. Now I have three symbolizing the triune God. I mean, living in the vine is so practical. The, the care and the cherishing of the brothers is so sweet. So the goal of God's economy is this enlarged universal divine human incorporation of the consummated God with the regenerated believers. That's the goal, and you have the sense you're living in the goal. Okay, the next section. As the branches of the true vine, we are the multiplication of Christ, the duplication of Christ, the spreading of Christ, and the enlargement of Christ. This is in God's economy, not in the Godhead. Christ, the infinite God, is the vine, and we are his branches. We are branches of the infinite God, organically one with him. On the one hand, we need to see a vision of the whole vine. On the other hand, we need to see the vision that you're a branch. You are a branch. It matters to the vine that you exist. One day, a long time ago, a sad and depressed and a little bit self-pitying sister called me for fellowship. And she was down, she was discouraged. And this is what she said. Brother, I think the church can go on without me. So what should I have said? And uh, no, I, I, I mean it. I, I'm open to your fellowship. You know, it's decades later. What should I have said? I feel I can't just be political. So anyway, this is what I told her. I said, yes, the church can go on without you, but not as well as with you. I mean, you, you can go on without your left thumb, can't you? You know that king and judges who would conquer other kings and cut off their thumbs and their big toes? They could still, like, go on somehow. I don't know how they would hold a pen or, or tie their, their laces on their sandals. And so every branch matters to the vine and to all the other branches. So we need to see this in that we are already one with him. God did this. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Of God you are in Christ Jesus. Because we are branches of the divine vine, parts of the organism of the triune God, 
We are the same as God in life and nature. Are not the branches the same in life as the vine? Don't they have the same nature? When we believed in the Lord Jesus, he branched into us and we became branches in him. Hardly any of us realized it at the time, but now we can help our new ones to realize you called on the Lord, you opened to him, you received him, we baptized you into him. You know what happened? The Lord branched into you. Now he's mingled with your spirit. He'll never leave you. For us to be branches in the vine means that Christ has become our life. Because the life is in the vine, and now it's the life of the branches. The vine is everything to the branches. This implies the branches in themselves can do nothing. Even the Lord said this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, I'm not criticizing persons. I've been in Orange County for two periods of time, totaling more than 27 years. And in a city called Garden Grove, there was this gigantic edifice erected, the Crystal Cathedral, worldwide, known for its performances, especially at Christmas time. Now, the whole organization has collapsed. The Roman Catholic Church has purchased it. It will allow it to be Protestant for a while. That the founder and his wife, they had a family squabble and a squabble with the board. Now this elderly person can be experiencing this. I wish he would really be sobered and humbled. And someone could tell him, Mr. Schuler, this is only the beginning. The Lord will test everything by fire. And you may be facing a situation where all that you have done is nothing. It's just nothing. The Lord will try everyone's work. For many years, Brother Lee had in his study on the wall above his desk a painting that some trainees had done for him of wood burning in a fire. And that verse from 1 Corinthians 3 there, the fire shall try everyone's work. And he wasn't like preoccupied with this, but he was mindful of this. As some of us are becoming mindful, we don't want to build up something for our own glory that will probably not even last our own lifetime. And then we face the Lord and that's all we have is our salvation. The Lord would say, you're redeemed, you're saved, and you have nothing else. There's nothing to bring into eternity. And you're not ready. You need to have another period of time to grow. What a mercy to realize we're nothing and the vine is everything. <clears throat> From the vine and through the vine, we receive everything we need to live as branches. Okay? Tell you, the saints and the churches need brothers and sisters of all ages, but especially older saints who can say, my brothers and sisters, this is true. Everything I have needed to live as a branch is in the vine. Amen. 
I cannot live without the vine and all the branches of the vine with their prayers and their love and their shepherding. We receive everything we need to live as branches. Now listen to this next point in full. Christ as the vine does everything through the branches. Without him we can do nothing and without us he can do nothing. Amen. How about that? You think you don't matter? There's a certain person that maybe only you can bring to the Lord. There may be a certain saint that really you are the one to restore that one. You just have that portion. There is a certain confirming word that needs to be given and you have it. Now, I hope we don't have theologians wanting to dispute to say, what do you mean without us? He can do nothing. He created the universe without us. I'm not talking about the actions of God in creating the universe, nor God's sovereignty over the universe. I'm talking about God's present operation to carry out his economy, to produce and build up the body of Christ, he does not do this alone. Didn't Cornelius get a message from the angel? Send for Simon Peter. He will speak words to you. And eventually Simon is sent. God didn't preach the gospel to Cornelius. Angels were not allowed to preach the gospel. Some human being, some imperfect human being, a branch in the vine, had to take that step. If the Lord isn't needed, then why does he want us to pray? We'll see this tomorrow. The principle of prayer is God does not act alone. He makes his will known to his people so that they may receive it and be one with it and pray it back to him. Then he will do it. So this is the way God has ordained it. In a very real sense, he needs you. The vine needs you. You have a portion. You have a function that no other branch has. This is for real. Amen. This is why we have to demolish the clergy laity system. This is a ministry meeting. That's why someone is speaking at length. But the principle of church meetings is mutuality Amen. with mutual function and supply. Now we come to a precious last section which involves a turn. It's not now about our abiding in the vine. It's about our knowing the significance of Christ being the vine that produces grapes, that produces cheering wine. Now, the vine in which we are abiding is the sacrificing Christ. The vine typifies the sacrificing Christ. Christ. And the verses given as references indicate that the vine uh, with its produce cheers God. It cheers man. So the vine is the sacrificing Christ. Brother Nee wrote that great hymn 635. Let us contemplate the grapevine. Our Lord lived a life of sacrifice, his whole life. 
to produce wine, to become a drink offering, to cheer the heart of God and to bring cheer to his people. So the vine typifies the sacrificing Christ, the Christ who sacrificed everything of himself. And out of his sacrifice, he produced new wine to cheer God and man. <clears throat> I don't want to say something that could be construed as generational, the difference between the older generation and the present generation. So I present it as a sincere question. Let us consider, oh, people from 18 to their early 30s in American society, do they have any concept of sacrifice, even in a human sense. According to my impression, this is a foreign thing. Instead, many have the concept of entitlement, of entitlement. Whether or not this is the case, I don't want to explore further. But there is a characteristic of the Lord's life. And he's the vine. This is the way the vine is. He sacrifices everything of himself with the goal that out of his sacrifice, he will produce new wine. Even he likened himself to new wine, which needs a new wineskin. And the verses point out, wine is cheering. Many of our dear brothers and sisters, and even all of us at certain times, we need someone to give us wine. Our heart is heavy. Life is hard. One day I just had a feeling to do this. This is very human. And I found this online. Use my ancient original iPad, the Jurassic version now, you know, the old one, the heavy one. And I wanted to find this song. It's a long, hard road. I'm not, no, I'm not encouraging you to, to do this, but I guess... It's too late. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted my daughter to hear this. She, you know, she's a middle-aged person. And I just said, there's something conveyed in this song that's real. It's a long, hard road. Human life is hard. It's a life of suffering. And in addition to that common suffering, but in the church life, we may have the privilege of partaking in the afflictions of Christ for the body. But whether it's human or whether it's divine, we all need to be refreshed. Paul told Philemon, you know, you have refreshed my spirit. You refresh the spirits of the saints. And any one of us can do this, but it doesn't come cheaply. Christ is the wine producer sacrificing himself to produce wine to cheer God and others. As the vine, Christ produces happiness for God and happiness for others. Do you think happiness is a sign of superficiality and that being sad and serious and morose and get ready, lugubrious. 
That's a Scrabble word for you. <laughs> Lugubrious. Being solemn to the extreme. Do you think that's a sign of depth and maturity and knowing the cross? No way. The deepest people are those who learn to maintain their joy Amen. in the Lord. Amen. That was Brother Nee's last word. I have maintained my joy in that situation to produce happiness for God. I mean, God needs something on this earth to bring joy to Him. How His name is blasphemed, cursed. How vain intellectuals defies arguments for his non-existence. No doubt he's laughing at Sam Harris who's still around and Richard Dawkins who's still around. But I'll tell you, Christopher Hitchens, he ain't no atheist, no mo. He now knows there's a God. And religion, do you think the Vatican is a joy to him and the megachurches are a joy to him? He needs something of Christ presented to him that will cheer his heart and bring happiness to others. If we contact the Christ typified by the vine and experience his sacrificing life, this will be an aspect of your abiding in the vine. He will touch you in this regard. He will constrain you in his love to live a sacrificing life. We all know John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We need to know 1 John 3.16, herein is love, that he laid down his soul life for us. And we ought also to lay down our soul lives for the brothers. Love requires this. The church life needs this dimension. Shepherding requires this. Living in the vine, we won't be martyrs. We won't be heroes. We won't expect medals. It's just normal to be energized, to live a life of sacrifice. And this will produce wine to make others and the Lord happy. I hope we can all agree with point one. In ourselves... We are not able to live a life of sacrifice. For our life is a natural life, a selfish life. We need to see this. Even if we are apparently sacrificing, really we're doing this in the self. And the self is at the core of that. If we contact the Lord and experience his sacrificing life, he will energize and strengthen us to sacrifice for God and for others. So don't make up your mind. You don't say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been selfish. Uh, from now on, I will live a sacrificing life. That's just yourself. You need to realize, you don't put yourself in Romans 7 again in another way. You, just, you may want to pray, Lord, please cause me to experience your sacrificing life then you just abide in the vine, you enjoy him, let him flow in you, then he will arrange a situation where you will be energized and strengthened. And you will sacrifice time, you will sacrifice energy, you will sacrifice certain
plans. You, in one very, you may even, at times, out of necessity, make other kind of sacrifices, joyfully, so that life can flow into another person. In 1984, Brother Lee called the elders from the whole recovery to come together to Anaheim for a two-week training. And I remember vividly what he said in the beginning because his wife was warning him of doing all of this labor at his age. And he told us, I am having this training at the risk of my life. How he could give three messages a day in 10-day trainings for year upon year upon year starting when he was about 70. Well, it's not because he's a hero. It's because he knows the vine, the sacrificing life of the vine. And we will have the opportunity not to make up our mind to do it, but to be energized and strengthened, and then we just live this way. The more we experience Christ as the vine, with his sacrificing life, the more we will be energized to sacrifice ourselves to make God and others happy. So we come back to our focal point. Experience Christ as the vine. Don't try to be anything. Don't try to do anything. Everything is in the vine. The vine knows what you need. The vine knows what he wants you to do and needs you to do. You just be one with him. Then I'll tell you this. There will be husbands married a long time with rather, even not rather, very challenging spouses. Dear, but difficult and challenging. And they will love them the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's Ephesians 5. In a very real sense, you lay down your life. This is love. Effortlessly. And we'll do the same for the saints, the same for the churches, the same in and for the Lord's ministry, and the same for the Lord's recovery. And we're not expecting accolades, medals, appreciation. What appreciation did Brother Nee get during those 20 years? But when he meets the Lord, he will get a wonderful reward. Isn't that good enough? To just live this way by abiding in the vine, experiencing his sacrificing life, and then living it out in our human life, our family life, our church life, whatever it is. Then eventually we have C, and it appears we're going to end this a little before nine. <clears throat> by experiencing Christ, as the wine-producing vine, 
and by being filled with him as the new wine, we may become a drink offering in him and with him to cheer God and man. That's how Paul ended. Early in his life, he was breathing out murder. Acts says this. He wanted to kill us. He wanted to eradicate the church. But everything changed when he met the Lord. Then he fully experienced the Lord as the vine, as wine. And Paul became wine. He became a drink offering. And he said at the very end, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. What a glorious end.